0: Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for safety. We thank you for provision. We thank you for your word that sustains us. For we know that man cannot live by bread alone, but must be sustained by every word out of the mouth of God. So Lord, we thank you for your word that strengthens us, that convicts us, that reminds us of who you are, what you are doing in our lives, and the power that you are and have. We thank you that you chose to take care of the sin problem within us. You chose to provide the cure for our disease, and you are that cure. So Lord, I pray that we would be strengthened by that truth, and know that even if everything is stripped away from us in this life, we will still always have you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess it's just human nature, but we as, hu- as humans, like movies and TV shows, where if something bad happens to the main character at the hands of somebody else, some, some kind of comeuppance comes at some point in the story that happens to the person who did the bad thing to the main character, right? We feel this certain sense of satisfaction if the, if the story ends with that. As humans, we find satisfaction and even revenge being taken against the wrongdoer and succeeding. And if we're watching a movie or a TV show and nothing happens to the wrongdoer, you know, nothing bad happens to them, or the opposite thing happens, like a good thing happening to the wrongdoer, it doesn't sit right with us, does it? We say, I don't like the way that ended. (laughs) That didn't have a good ending. We have this internal unsettledness that screams, that's not fair. That is not how the story should have gone. How many of us have done this? When someone does or says something to us that offends us or even deeply hurts us, we lie awake at night coming up with the greatest comeback burn of all time and dreaming of the day we'd be able to deliver it with full force, right? We can come up with some pretty Oscar-worthy comebacks on our beds at night when we can't sleep. But when do do we come up with those Oscar-worthy comeback burns? Way after the incident actually happens, when we've been letting it stew in us for a little while. And we think, ah, if only I had said this then, that would have been perfect. We talked about forgiveness a couple of weeks ago. We took a break from the New Testament and delved into the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Do you guys remember that? The message today goes hand-in-hand with that message. When we've been wronged or hurt, what do we do? What should we do? What role does God play in that all-too-real-life situation? As we talked about last week, the Thessalonian believers remained under stressful and painful persecution. Why? Simply because of their faith. That was the only reason why, only because of their faith. We're not told exactly what specific forms of persecution this took, but it was apparently horrific enough for several of them to head for the hills and thinking they were already in the horrible end times period known as the Great Tribulation. I'm sure many of them lie awake at night wondering when they would be relieved from this trouble, when God would finally intervene on their behalf, and when their persecutors would finally get theirs. To this strife, Paul would write the words he writes in our passage this morning. The humbling truth that the Thessalonians and we need to realize is that things will not always work out the way that we want them to in this life, but that does not mean that God is not still in control and that he is not using these painful experiences to stretch us and to grow us. There's a saying that goes, God doesn't care as much about relieving you of the situation that you're in right now as much as he cares about growing you in that situation the first point that we come to as we continue to work through second Thessalonians is the evidence in verse 5 of, of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, and I want everybody to see this, so if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to 2 Thessalonians. We're in the first chapter, and if you didn't, that's perfectly fine. There should be one in the pew in front of you. It's in the New Testament. You can look it up in the temple, in, in the table of contents. There's no shame in that. We're in the second letter of, uh, to, of Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. Paul starts out this verse by saying, This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, right? We just read that. What is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment? It's what Paul has just commended them for and the growth of. In the verse right before this, in verse 4, it's connected to what we talked about last week. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God because of your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. That is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. See, if God's justice is perfect, then his righteous judgment goes both ways. We can't just have it one way. His righteous judgment goes both ways. uh, Paul will get into the punishment of those doing evil and persecuting the believers for their wickedness. But here, the focus is on the believers in the church, those being persecuted. You might say, but I thought there was... No reason for that. There was no condemnation towards those who have put their faith in Jesus. And they don't have to worry about judgment. That is true. That is in the Bible. And why it's true is because of what is proven in the believer's life. Why that's true, why there is no condemnation is because of the faith that is proven in the believer's life. The salvation that leads to the faith that is proven in the In a person's life, a person is saved from God's condemnation and judgment and eternal banishment from his presence at the point of their repentance, acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection on their behalf, and recognition of him as king over their lives. How that's proven in the believer's life, however, is through testing, it will be proven through testing. Anyone can claim they've accepted Jesus as their Savior and King, but when push comes to shove and their feet are held to the flames for their faith, what is going to be proven? What is going to be shown? Only true followers of Jesus will continue to follow Jesus even when they've lost everything in this life. In other words, it's not where you start In the race of the Christian faith, that matters. It's where you end in the race of the Christian faith, that's what matters. When Paul knew he was going to be executed by the Romans for his faith, and so he knew that he was near the end of his life and the Christian race, he wrote to his protege, Pastor Timothy I have fought the good faith, the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, because of that, uh, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which, is the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Those words he wrote to Timothy are an exact reiteration. Do you notice that? When you read through that, that's an exact reiteration of what he's telling the Thessalonians here in the verse we just read. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. An exact reiteration. Here, that when he's writing to the Thessalonians in the middle of his earthly ministry. Paul says that all the persecutions he's endured, even all the way up to the knowledge of his impending execution, have proven that he has remained true to the faith. Because of that proof, the righteous judge will award him the crown of righteousness and eternity with him. Jesus says something very similar when he tells his disciples that they would know the difference between good trees and bad trees by what fruit was being born, by what fruit was being grown in their lives. And John the Baptist warned the Pharisees, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let that be what's shown, what people are seeing Your bearing. It's got to be in line with your repentance, with your salvation and your faith. The Apostle James also said something right in line with all of this when he said, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You can say you have faith, but what is being proven? What is being shown? James even goes so far as to say exactly what Paul tells the Thessalonians here when he says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Perseveres. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, what matters is not what happens at the start of the race. What matters is what happens at the end of the race. And since nobody knows when the end of their race will be, We are always to remain persevering in our faith, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, being grown and stretched by the Holy Spirit. Transformation of your life by way of the Holy Spirit and the fires of life prove that you really meant what you said when you repented of your sin and committed your life to God through Jesus. That's the importance of those things. And that way, God truly is the righteous judge. He doesn't just let things slide. He judges based on the evidence. Going both ways. And if he didn't, then what does that mean about God? That he really isn't just then. If his perfect justice does not go both ways. We like the part when God judges everyone else. Don't we? But we also need to keep in mind that our lives must also bear the evidence of growing faith under the pressure of troubles in this world. This truth was a source of encouragement. Believe it or not, this truth that Paul writes to the Thessalonians is a source of encouragement to them. Because Paul tells them that because he can clearly see their growing faith, perseverance of faith, and growing love for each other. And that is the evidence that the righteous judge will consider that he will consider them worthy of entrance into his kingdom. And that was a source of encouragement to believers in the fires of persecution. But that was them. Paul wrote those words to the Thessalonians. What about us? Could God write the same words to us? The question remains, is your life showing the evidence of growing faith? Perseverance in that faith. Growth in love. In order to prove you meant what you said when you gave your life to Jesus, especially when painful times come. Especially. Not, oh, when painful times come, that's sort of a gray area. Especially when painful times come. See, a prayer said to accept salvation is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's a life commitment. It's who we become in every way, and it's what we open ourselves up to in transformation and redemption and cleaning up and growth in every way. It's not a gathering of knowledge from listening to a bunch of sermons. It's a process of transformation that should be seen when we start getting squeezed. Not when everything's going nice, but that should still be seen when we're getting squeezed. What's being seen, being squeezed out of us when we enter times of trouble? What is being seen that is being squeezed out of us when we enter times of trouble, stress, or when things are not going our way? What's being seen when we're being squeezed? Is what is being squeezed out of us a likeness of Jesus or a likeness of our humanity? Paul's commendation to the Thessalonians and their connection to the righteous judge was a source of encouragement to them. Now Paul gets to the flip side of that truth and knowledge, which continues to be a source of encouragement to them. So we talked about the evidence, what God looks like, what God looks at, and it goes both ways. The evidence, and secondly, we come to the justice. In verses 6 through 7 we read, For after all... It is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. After all, Paul says... If God is the righteous judge when it comes to you and your faith and rewards you with eternal life, He must also be the righteous judge when it comes to those persecuting you and reward them with punishment. Again, it goes both ways. In verse 6, Paul says that God will justly punish the Thessalonians' persecutors with the same adversity that they've been leveling at the Thessalonian believers. That in and of itself must must have been a salve on the wounds of the Thessalonians' battered spirits. You might say, why would the Thessalonians care about that? What does that say about them as believers? Yeah, I can't wait till. They get their punishment. What does that say about them as as believers? Put yourself in their shoes. They are part of this new movement that the metropolis of Thessalonica has not encountered before. No one understands it because it is counter to the Gentile pagan religions already present in the city. And the Jewish community has already expressed its hatred of it in no uncertain terms. In fact, it was the Jewish community in Thessalonica that incited the riot that forced Paul to flee Thessalonica in the first place. Therefore, the Christian community in that city could find no refuge or identity with any other already established group. They were on their own, societally speaking. They had no one to protect them. They had no one to shield them. See, we can appeal to the civil courts for religious discrimination, whatever the result may be, but there was literally no possibility of protection from the Thessalonian government, and as we see in Acts, they were openly antagonistic towards the church. Thus, what all that boiled down to for the Thessalonian church is that it was open season on the church in Thessalonica, from everybody in that city. Think of the smallest, most defenseless kid on the playground open to any bully who saw fit to mess with them and no one to stand up for them. If there was any advantage to be had, any exploitation, any aggressive misunderstanding, any discrimination, any theft or bodily injury that was going to come to anyone living in Thessalonica, the Christian community was the prime target. They had no one to defend them. And they were time and time and time again. No wonder these brothers and sisters needed to be encouraged. No wonder they needed Paul to say these words to them. Even though they were defenseless against earthly attack, they were not alone. And not only that, but all the wrongs they had suffered at the hands of their fellow human beings simply because of what they knew to be true would be punished. Jesus, as the big sibling, was going to show up and take care of business. Imagine what encouragement that would have brought to our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica thousands of years ago you know what that gave to the beleaguered Thessalonian church freedom and peace freedom and peace it gave them freedom from stewing in plotting revenge it gave them freedom from the chains of unforgiveness it gave them freedom from being held captive to victimization It gave them the peace of knowing that they could let go of all of their dark feelings towards the persecutors because it was all in God's hands and as Paul was reminding them, God will take care of it. Paul would also write to the church in Rome and I want everyone to see the power in these words. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And that's a promise. But if your enemy is hungry, this is what we, that's his job. This is our job. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those are incredibly powerful words, aren't they? They are incredibly powerful to those they were originally written to, and they're incredibly powerful for us today. But you see what's being said here? Our thoughts should not even be centered on any sort of revenge or any thought of repaying someone's evil towards us with more evil. That shouldn't even be part of the equation. That shouldn't even enter our thoughts. That kind of thinking has absolutely nothing to do with the life of a person redeemed by Jesus. Vengeance is God's business. Vengeance is God's business. It is in no way our business. Why, do, why are we always tempted to take it out of his hands? Vengeance is God's business. It is in no way ours. Our only job, only job, is to repay with love and goodness. That is our only job. And if at all possible, if it has anything to do with us, what do those words say? Be at peace with all men. That's incredibly hard, isn't it? Let's just be honest. That's incredibly hard, depending on what somebody does to us. But that's what God commands us to do. Nothing God commands us to do is easy, is it? Why should we expect this to be easy? And that's the point. Because it's God's strength that empowers us to do that. And why does God command us to do this? Because He knows what the perfect justice should be. We have no idea what the perfect justice should be, but God knows what the perfect justice should be. He also knows that we should be freed from the quicksand of seeking revenge. And because he also knows if we free ourselves from that, if we allow ourselves to be freed from that, then we keep our minds clear to do what? To glorify God with our thoughts and actions. If we take all of that and put it in God's hands move it from our minds then we have all the room in the world to glorify God with our thoughts and actions God tells us don't worry about it I'll handle it and he truly means don't worry about it don't let it consume you don't let it eat at you don't let it drag you down into the depths of despair vengeance is God's job and he will take care of it find peace in that truth On the other side of that, however, those who are doing the persecuting have much to be afraid of, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Who are they ultimately taking on? God himself, almighty God, the creator of the universe. In reality, they're not dealing with humans at all, and they will receive their due justice from his all-powerful hands. Not only is that news a source of relief for those dealing with intense persecution at the hands of other human beings, but it's also a literal source of uh, of what is being translated here in the NASB as relief. The word translated here as relief comes from the root word meaning to loosen, give slack, relax, or be free from. In the context, Paul points out that there will be a day when the Thessalonians will be able to rest From their current persecution. That it will have no control. No power over them. Not only that. But there will be a day. When Paul and his missionary companions. Would also be freed from. And find rest from persecutions. Notice when Paul says this will happen. At the end of verse 7. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. We're going to get deeper into this next week. But for now, Paul says that this judgment will be meted out towards this wicked persecution when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And like I said, this is just the beginning of Paul's whole description of this event, which follows in verses 8 through 10, and we'll get more into that next week. But does the description of this fit the description of the rapture that Paul already described in his first letter to the Thessalonians? Does this fit that description? No, it doesn't. What verses 7 through 10 are describing in Second Thessalonians are, are the, is the end times event that happens after the rapture and even after the period of the great tribulation at the time of what is referred to as Jesus' second coming. It is then that he will return for battle and destruction, paying back the world and its rebellious inhabitants who rejected God and did evil. To the knocked around and persecuted believers in Jesus, Paul was telling them, everything you're experiencing is not in vain. It's revealing where your faith really is. That's what it's doing. It's revealing where your faith really is. And if you come out on the other side with your faith preserved, you have the peace of knowing where you're going. You will be fully freed from the evils of this world and you will finally find rest. And ultimately, as a believer, you will experience the height of that vengeance towards the evil you've experienced when Jesus himself returns and deals it out. Take heart, brothers and sisters. In God's timing, Jesus will smash the forces of darkness. One day, we will be fully freed in every sense from the evil of this world and the forces beyond this world. Vengeance is our Father's, and he will repay Let that be a source of strength as we face our various spiritual battles and trials. Our God is fighting with us and for us. As we surrender to the Holy Spirit's preserving of our faith in the hardest and darkest of days, we have the hope of knowing we will receive the reward of eternal life with our Heavenly Father. One day, we will finally have full peace and rest. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful passage. We thank you for the hope and encouragement that it gave to those battered Thessalonian believers. And we thank you for the hope that it gives to us today. Lord, I pray that if we look back on times that we were squeezed and we saw more of our humanity being squeezed out of us than Jesus being squeezed out of us, I pray that we would surrender that to you, Lord that you would work in our hearts and free us from that, grow us out of that, fill us with more of you, and remove more of ourselves from us. Lord, as one body, let us always keep our focus on you. You are all that matters. Your gospel is all that matters. Taking that gospel to this world is all that matters. We know that you will come back Vengeance is yours, you will repay. And let us find our peace and rest in that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.